Greetings, everyone. This is Richard Earls, the publisher of Travel Research Online, speaking to you from Tallahassee, Florida. Thank you for listening to this episode of TRO Signal. Today's episode is a recap of a webinar we did this week entitled, Don't Let a Crisis Go to Waste. The webinar had its origin in an article in TRO by Richard D'Ambrosio. Like many good articles, I think Richard's article was a starting point. You can find the webinar at TravelResearchOnline.com in our webinars page, or you can listen to this podcast for a slightly abbreviated version. All segments of our industry right now are in need of leadership. This first webinar does a good job of stating the problems at hand, but now it's time to find some solutions. As a result, TRO is about to launch a series of webinars, articles, and online courses in travel law, accounting, and insurance. We want to be a major part of bringing us all out of this mess. This industry is my life, and I'm fighting along with you. Keep watching our Facebook page for updates on these new programs. We love you guys. And we're all in this together. Now, here's the first webinar in this series. I'm going to introduce by alphabetical order our um, guest today. Um, Dan Austin is a face that many people recognize. Dan has been in this industry for a couple of decades now. Um, he is the owner of Austin uh, Adventures, and it is a family-owned, independent adventure travel company. So, Dan, thank you very much for being here. Hey, thanks um, for that, that introduction just wore me out, I can tell you that. <laughs> Tim Clunan is president of the Travel Show Marketing Group. So many of you on this call today obviously have met Jim, have attended one of his conferences. So thank you, Jim, for joining us. Thanks for including me. Look forward to the conversation. Uh, Margie Jordan is one of my favorite individuals in the world. She's vice president of CCRA's True Global Network. That's an organization of over 3,000 travel agency members. And Margie, she oversees the network's strategic partnerships. She's involved in business development and marketing. Margie also sits on the Black Travel Advisory Board, and she is a travel advisor herself. Wonderful. Thank you for having me, Richard. Carmen Perez is a newfound friend of mine. She's a consultant and founder of the Travel Business Success Circle, which is a company that tries to make travel advisors better at being business owners. She works on a full panoply of the skill sets that travel advisors need to be successful. And Carmen, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for the invitation. And Tracy Schatz is a travel advisor. She owns her own company. Um, she is with the Travel Leaders Network, and Tracy has had a fascinating career. She is an Air Force veteran, a mother of six, and as the child of 10, um, I don't understand why you'd be that strong to do that, uh, but she's also been a travel agent expert for about 15 years for travel advisors. So Tracy, thanks so much for being here. Uh, thanks, Richard, for having me. So we are going to start from the backwards forward. So we're going to start with Tracy, and we're going to ask the same question to all five of our panelists today. Um, looking at the six months that we have been enmeshed in this COVID era, Tracy, what is perhaps one or two of the most significant changes that you have experienced in this industry that has impacted you as a travel advisor? And, and how are you seeing suppliers and destinations operating in, in more than an incrementally different uh, perspective, but perhaps a radically different perspective, because that's where they need to go post-COVID? Well, honestly, I don't know that I've seen suppliers really do anything drastically different other than I've noticed cutting back, obviously, because they don't want to spend the money. Right. Um, I would like to see them radically change how we are doing business and, and really focusing, asking the questions of travel advisors how their product could meet the needs of our ideal clients. And I think in that regard, travel agents or travel advisors also need to do that same thing. 
they need to really align themselves with certain suppliers that are going to meet the needs of their ideal clients. And in that, they really probably need to get clear on who their ideal clients really are, not just the group that they want to sell to because that may be the person who's going to make them the most money, but the people who light them up, who really get them excited on, on both the supplier and, and, you know, for them, their ideal client. Mm-hmm. Carmen, what have you seen um, starting to happen? Things like, you know, Colette and Globus are now paying commissions on deposits. We've got people moving in a direction that perhaps was anathema, you know, 12 months ago to the industry's thinking process. What are you seeing in terms of changes that pre-COVID has initiated? And also, you know, what do you think the industry needs to do more of to continue that momentum? One of the things I saw um, or I am seeing on the supplier side, and I think it's a good thing, you know, and destinations, of course, is being more mindful of travel safety um, in terms of health. You know, a good hygiene is not anything new, but these days, of course, it carries more meaning. And so they really are driving a cohesive message to keep care of your hygiene. That was something that we didn't really address, even though the fact that there are studies proving that that reduces illness overall, right? This is not new science. So I like that. That's a good thing that I think has happened as a result. And I think that will continue. And, you know, and I think it's needed, very necessary. So that's one big thing I think that the supplier side has helped with because that message needed to kind of start being sent out there in order to boost consumer confidence to begin traveling again. And that also helped bring more travel agents back to the table because a lot of people were still mourning the loss of their business. Margie, what has been your experience in the last six months in terms of the industry moving in a direction that it wasn't thinking about six to 12 months ago, but because of COVID and the financial you know, impact it's had on the industry, what Carmen just said that you know, there's new expertise that the industry needs to share with travel advisors to coax people into the sales funnel. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the last six months and where would you like to see more change? So I'm going to talk a little about what Carmen and both Tracy said. Um, I I haven't seen anything radical coming from the supplier side, although I do think we need that right now. I have seen them being a bit more careful with their terms and conditions and what they're saying. But quite honestly, Richard, where I'd love to see our travel advisors become a little more savvy is understanding those terms and conditions. Because we all know during the course of some travel just stopping completely and then you're forced to deal with refunds and where's my client's money and some suppliers not refunding at all, others offering pieces of it back or future travel credits. The question I kept asking is, what does your terms and conditions say? And to my surprise, a lot of agents just don't read them. We make a deposit, we give our clients money, and we just assume, you know, we know a cancellation policy for the most part, but do we know the details of what happens if a pandemic happens or another act of God happens? Where does my client's money go and do they get it back? And then we try to rely on travel insurance and there's clauses and phrases in there that we don't understand. I would really love to see us as an industry understand this legal side of it to what a supplier's responsibility is, what is my responsibility as an agent, and what is my client's, what should my client's understanding be? Because I'll tell you, I got some late night calls about clients threatening to call the police um, because you didn't give me my money back, clients doing all sorts of things and travel agents being in a sheer panic. What do I do? Because I'm not getting any response from the supplier or getting their money back. So we clearly need a better understanding and a radical change in how we as agents and advisors understand what those terms and conditions mean and under what circumstances I'm going to be able to get someone's money back or am I at legal risk here of anything at all? We didn't get that until COVID-19 happened. I could not agree with you more. I have heard more stories from extremely experienced travel advisors saying that they were facing situations that they always knew because they they had read some of the terms and conditions and they always knew the potential was there, that there was a liability gap in there, that flight cancellation or interruption, and, and it was just that little portion of the world and who was traveling during that hurricane. 
This hit everybody at the same time, and it just exposed all of those gaps. Yes, we, we, we clearly need some training. What does ENO insurance do? What do the terms and cancellations do? What sort of waivers and, and terms and conditions do I need? We need some more understanding here. What does travel insurance do for my client in this situation? Right. We need some help. Now, Jim, you're, you're sort of on the fence between the two sides. You're, you're, you see what's getting tossed across the fence because you're at the intersection. You work with suppliers and destinations for your forums. You have travel advisors who love to attend them. And the content that you create for the forums is, is a combination of everybody's interest. What are you hearing about right now in terms of you know, what's been changing? What do people need more education from? And God willing, when we have the day that you can start hosting in-person forums, what do you think that kind of content is going to look like? Because so much change needs to happen. Well, you know, first of all, I look forward to seeing all of you in 2025, the way this thing is going. My, my goodness. You know, I, when, when we talked the other day in prep for this, I had said that in the last six months, we've been offering re- webinars to one of our partners with, with Tima. And the, the three largest turnouts that we've had by a mile have been for lawyers and accountants and how to study contracts, how to be financially responsible without destroying yourself. And it's awful, you know, and, and, and I guess I, I in full disclosure, I, I sent Richard a, an email after the, the call we had the other day. And I said, you know, I don't know if I'm the right person to sit in on this because of I've had so many conversations with people that have lost their jobs, that, that things aren't moving. And, and there, there is a small percent that, that is doing well. And, and to them, I say congratulations. But it, it's more that we're all in this together. And as we, as we go forward, uh, you know, us as a company, we've moved things to virtual because we know how important it is for the suppliers and the agents to stay in touch with one another. And it keeps us busy. We made a decision as a company through January of, of next year to stay virtual with our uh, travel agency owners event in November and our European event in January and to move our Las Vegas, our our big event, the Las Vegas Travel Agent Forum to June from its existing dates in April because it just seems further back, which is is crazy to believe. You know, if we look back at March of 2019, that we're talking 15 months into the future that we're keeping our fingers crossed that, that that's a you know, a a good time for people to be able to get together. And our plans are to, you know, which is always what we've done is bring the people what they want. And that is the, the education, the continuing education, you know, probably less destination training and more legal. I think we're going to probably, instead of having five destinations, we're probably going to have three lawyers and two or three accountants on, on site. And they're probably going to be the busiest people in the entire conference. So probably more than you were looking for me, but um, no, that that's exactly that's exactly what I'm hearing, and I'm I'm in a lot of travel advisor or Facebook private groups, and I often see the conversations are focused on what are my legal liability uh, liabilities with this if I send somebody there, um, how do I rearrange my finances so that I can you know access cash flow you know differently? I think there's a whole new focus. Dan, does this surprise you at all that travel advisors have a desperate need now for legal advice and accounting advice? I don't know if it, I don't know if it surprises me. Um, I would say that behind every adversity, there's an equal or greater advantage. So what this did is it just brought a heightened sense of awareness to all the aspects of it. If the money's pouring in and you're booking, you really don't need to think about all that stuff. You know, you just you just you got money in the bank. That's all that, that matters. But I think from both the, the travel advisors, tour operators, I mean, everybody in the industry, they had to adjust and figure out, okay, now we're micromanaging pennies. We're, we're literally, we have to understand our cash flow projections, right? I mean, literally, this is a, a, a unique business where a lot of the cash comes in early. When that spigot stops, uh, a lot of tour operators were in sheer panic mode. 
And again, I, so I think that that, again, I don't think it surprises me. It just, it, it, it heightened that sense of how important it really is to know where you're at. And it's pretty obvious on the tour operator side, which tour operators kind of knew where they were at when everything kind of came apart. And those seem to be the ones that are doing the best now. How difficult, Dan, has it been given the way money flows for a company like yours? How difficult has it been managing cash flow Given that somebody like Tracy sells somebody eight months, 12 months in advance to go on a tour with you, and then you've, you're, you've got the craziness of, will we actually be able to go? Will we not be able to go? Are there things that you're starting to realize we can change in terms of terms and conditions, commission payments to travel advisors, how to make all this maybe more transparent? for the client so that they can feel both comfortable and know what contingency plans look like in advance? Are there are there things we can do that you might not have thought about doing eight months ago prior to this that you're like, you know what, I think we're going to have to do that to stimulate travel again? Well, and I, I think that, yes, and, and it speaks to both uh, Margie's and Tracy's, you know, comments is that, you know, there's just, a, there's a, again, this heightened sense of the need to communicate. And it's literally communicating with our guests and it's communicating with our, our travel advisor partners. It's communicating with the tour operator. You talked a lot about T and C's and maybe some people don't understand them. That's all part of that communication, making sure that the, the guest understands it. But, you know, I really think that that's where it all starts is with good, honest communication. And I mean, that's what's kept us Clearly can't say prospering, but that's what's kept us alive the last six months is we took approach way back in March that, you know, we adopted the ABCs and that was anticipate, be honest and communicate. And we've never stopped. We've literally before, during and after the trip. And we've worked with more travel advisors this year than by far than normal. And it's been really nice to actually bring them into that fold of communication. Margie, um, listening to what Dan just said, in terms of radical change, and you don't have to call out a specific supplier if you don't choose to. In general, do you think suppliers are understanding what Dan just said, that transparency over communicating is the new normal and and we're not going backwards. We're not going to hide behind small font sizes and contracts. We're not going to hide behind things that we always bury on our website that, no, we need to collaborate with travel advisors to help them understand the terms and conditions and how it might impact things if we have to go into a cancellation phase again, like we did in March. Are you getting a sense that the industry is behind you in that respect? I think yes and no. I think there's this side, Richard, where there's this assumed idea that if you're in the travel agency, you're a travel agency owner, you understand contracts, you understand terms and conditions, you've got this legal side together, and, and you know what you're doing. I think there, there's that assumption already. But then when you've got newer agents who are in the business, there's certainly, I feel like, on the side of a supplier that you're just beginning to do business with, that you sit down and have those conversations. If this is your first time booking with a particular supplier, you definitely want to dig into those terms and conditions to understand what you're committing your client to. As soon as you turn that money over, you book that trip, you've made a commitment on behalf of your client and whether you've shared those cancellation policies and terms and conditions with your client or not. And unfortunately, in most cases, that's not happening between the travel advisor and the client. You've made a commitment. And there's the assumption, I think, with suppliers that if you're doing business with that supplier, you understand that. You understand the legal obligations there. You understand terms and conditions. You have them with your client yourself, right? So you understand that whole world. But what I'm seeing is that agents don't. They don't understand the correlation between E&O insurance, terms and conditions, and travel insurance, and where does any of this kick in, if at all? What is the purpose of it? So there, there needs to be some education. And I think suppliers as a whole do have a part in that. So as that relationship begins, this is a conversation that needs to be had. And if the supplier isn't initiating it as an advisor, we should be. Tracy, you and I have had a lot of private conversations since the middle of March, and at times you have mimicked a lot of what Margie just said. How do you feel you've changed your behaviors as a travel advisor as you're trying to coax a family into the sales pipeline to consider a trip? How have you changed how you operate to be more transparent and and 
And if they're not initiating a conversation about, well, what happens if COVID closes down Montana or wherever, what have you changed about that? And where have you started to source gaps in suppliers and destinations helping you be more clear and, and answer questions on a more timely basis and a more comprehensive basis so those clients can make an educated decision? Well, I start the conversation pretty close to you know, the beginning of the whole process. It's the matter of having a consultation initially. And when we come up with who they, what, where I'm going to send them, what supplier I'm going to use, I do lay out their terms and conditions and, and the different scenarios. And what I did is I reached out to the suppliers I wanted to work with. And I spoke with them directly about what their business looks like going forward post-COVID, how they are going to take care of our, my clients, what changes are they making. And, and it might only be short term, but I think that knowing that it will help future clients get comfortable with the idea of traveling and with the idea that I am picking the right supplier that I trust to give them to so that they can take care and fulfill that obligation of the vacation. So would you say, Tracy, that you are becoming, you know, as, as you look at preferred suppliers, that you're doing a stronger um, vetting process on, are they going to support me in being transparent about what their contingency plans are, transparent about their terms and conditions and how it impacts deposits and, and payment schedules? Is that like a no-go for you that if somebody doesn't give you a signal that they understand the way you're going to run your business, that they're going to, they're going to be consistent and, and help you with that? For me, yeah. I don't want to, I want to be able to, when I pick a, you know, a supplier I want to work with, yes, I want to feel comfortable and I do want to have that open dialogue and I don't want to get the company answer because my clients aren't going to take that company answer. They want to know where their money is. And I need to be able to tell them other than, well, I don't know. You know, so yes, I need to have that conversation with them. I have been in the, in the middle of a lot of those conversations over the last few months where travel advisors have privately told me that they, they felt like the supplier left them in the lurch because they made a decision about what they were going to do with their refunds. And now the client only had the travel advisor to discuss all of this and understand it. And, and to some degree, many of the travel advisors I've spoken with have said they felt like the client was now blaming them. And that has left a bad taste in a lot of travel advisors' mouths. Carmen, thinking about the many travel advisors you've worked with and you're helping them navigate this crazy period, what are you hearing in terms of what Tracy just said, that are travel advisors reevaluating the communication aspect of their relationship with a supplier so that they don't find themselves sort of sitting in the middle, that, they, that the, the supplier gives some indication to the travel advisor that we will ensure that our terms and conditions and policies don't make you look bad, that, that we own that and that we will communicate clearly and help you not ruin that relationship with the clients. Is that happening? Yes, that is. I mean, that's something that we've instilled over the last two and a half years that the quality of your partners, your trade partners, your suppliers, your destinations, these relationships are critical. And it's important to know and be able to reach out. This is one of the reasons why I teach that these are your trade secret connections, right? If you have a supplier that you love to sell and they're perfect for your ideal travel clients, once you develop that relationship, it would be expected that you have have a way to reach out when there's an issue and you wouldn't be treated like other people, but it's hard to develop those relationships unless you are vetting and looking at, are they financially sound when they're ready to travel? Will they still be there? Do they have good, flexible and fluid terms that in case there are cancellations or issues, they're going to work with me to either reschedule or they'll let me work with them to figure out something that is going to help everyone involved so that you can still protect your relationship and it's a 
win-win for everyone, not just the supplier who gets to forfeit because their terms and conditions allowed them to. There's an equity in helping them keep that relationship because these are the true travel influencers. These are the ones who are going to help us instill consumer confidence and bring them back. And it's hard for them to do that if they're not sure about where we're going to book them. Is that going to work? How difficult is it going to be to manage this once I do get that client? So a lot of our agents are, they beefed up their terms and conditions. I mean, we usually have like four page agreements. I was just looking at one that someone sent me. It was eight to see if that was a viable uh, planning agreement. And I know that, you know, this isn't everyone who works with planning agreements, but it's definitely something now I know that everyone is, you know, we've been again talking about it for a couple of years, but now we've just made those terms and conditions that we work with our clients that much stronger so that when things like this happen, we have a plan of action. We know we go there. Our first plan of action is figure out what do we book them on? What are those terms and what are our relationships with them? And if they're fragile, you know, um, if you didn't vet them, that's the problem. Let's take that to Dan now. And then Jim, uh, we're going to go a little bit broader away from just Dan's ex personal experience. But Dan, at Austin Adventures, are you finding that A, that you feel like travel advisors are narrowing down the suppliers they're going to use, you know, either choosing you or co competitors that you have based on this whole trust factor? Can I, it's no longer, can I trust you to deliver an incredible travel experience? It's, that's the baseline. But then I also need to know that, Dan, I can pick up the phone. I've got a particular client who's been with me for four years and they're pissed off and you're going to help me walk through this with them. I mean, are you finding that trust factor has radically changed because of this environment? I don't know. I think, again, I, I don't know if it's changed. I think it's just more top of mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that what, <clears throat> what we're seeing is and again, it's, I can only speak for ourselves. What we're seeing is is the travel professionals and our guests are appreciating and looking for that personal one-on-one -on -one connection, right? In other words, you know, the, the days of the big giant corporate, you know, if if, the, if there's a problem with a payment uh, or a cancellation, you know, they're going to put you through to accounting, or they're going to put you through to legal, or they're going to put you through on hold, or they're going to send you know, no, they actually can call me and we'll talk through it. So I think that's the one thing that we've really focused on, and, and I was going to jump in here a minute ago, is you really can't address every possible scenario. You can't. We've seen it. We, just about the time we thought we saw it all this year, you know, something else would come up. So maintaining that sense of flexibility and going back old school and putting the customer first, period. That's where it stops. And so I think agents are really appreciating once they get that vibe, once they see that that's your kind of your brand or your, you know, philosophy, I think that's what's making the difference because you're not going to address every scenario possible out there. I mean, I, again, I've dealt with more than I could possibly imagine this year, but we did adopt, put the customer first and that's where it probably always should have been. So Jim, for the forums that you've done, the popular ones about legal, can you characterize the tone and tenor of those forums? Do you, do you sense that these le the legal advice that travel advisors have been looking for reflects some kind of brokenness in either communications, transparency, trust with suppliers in general, because a lot of them have done a really wonderful job navigating this. And I know a couple of brand names that took a beating. Do you find that there's like a couple of companies or, or a segment of the industry that's really going to have to up their game in doing what Dan just said? Well, I, I think we know certain areas that are getting beat up other than others. I'm not going to get into details on that because some are close friends and, you know, business associates and somebody else wants to jump on that, feel free. But what I have noticed is there's a very small percentage of companies reaching out, whether it's the BDM. And I'm an agent too. I mean, I have an IATA card. I, I book several thousand rooms a year, you know, for my conferences and everything. So I'm, I'm considered, I guess, mid-level for, you know, some of these properties. But, but what I've found both between suppliers that we work with and suppliers that are customers of mine is that a small percentage are very proactive staying out in front and they're just kind of riding until the end or responding when asked questions. And I'm not going to say one way is right or wrong. And that's not me straddling the fence. I think that 
each company is trying to find their way through this chaos. And on the back side of this, you're going to know which people you really want to work with. And I'll give you a, a, a personal example of that. The insurance carrier that we use for our shows, for our cancellation policies, our any injuries, personal injuries, et cetera, versus the bank that I use. We, we weren't covered for the pandemic, which is the case with most people. But I had to reach out to the insurance company three times to find out this information. On the flip side, my local branch manager at the bank that I've been with for seven years, and we're by no means a, a, you know, a, a big fish in this pond, has been reaching out, asking us, setting up monthly calls with, with myself and my partner, Eric, to, to talk our way through these things. Here are your options. These are the different things that you can do. And I know when this is done, I'm going to move more to my bank and I'm going to find a new insurance carrier. So I, I think that that's going to be the case across every one of these things. You're going to remember that representative, whether it's from a cruise line that might be getting besmirched across the, the media or a small tour operator in, in Austria that, that you've worked with that, that reaches out and, and talks to you versus somebody else that doesn't. And I think it's that simple. It's human nature more than anything else. You want to know that people are, are into you for the good and the bad, you know, and, and right now is when you really find out who those people are. And to Dan's point earlier that maybe the customers just got a heightened attention and that makes all the rest of us have a heightened attention. You know, that's what's occurred is that so many travelers have either been burned themselves personally or heard of someone who has been burned. You know, they're still waiting on their airline refunds or they've had one trip canceled twice because, you know, the, the company thought they would be able to get them back out. And now they're going through this process of cobbling together. When are they going to travel? I think because so many people have a heightened awareness, and as they asked us questions these last six months, we finally started telling them a level of detail where they were like, wait a second, that's how your industry works? So now they also have a heightened understanding of how the industry works. And I think that's where a lot of this trust issue has occurred, is that people learned a lot of things for the first time because they never had to deal with it before. I'm going to start asking some of the questions that have been coming because there's some brilliant questions here. So John Latimer asks, my customers would be comfortable booking if the supplier held their funds in an escrow account. Does the panel think we need to do more of this? Dan, is, is that financially feasible to, to be sort of putting money in, in, in escrow accounts? I know, I know certain industries have to do that well, because in, they're regulated. California and Washington, tour operators in California and Washington must. Right. right. But the caveat to that is they can take out, and this makes perfect sense, they can take out any prepaid expenses. So if they're paying the safari operator in Namibia, they can take that out of that escrow account. So what's left in there is basically that the tour operator's margin, right? And, and so that makes perfect sense. But again, it comes back down to communicating and trust with that tour operator. If you see a tour operator, do your homework. They, we didn't have any chargebacks, but I know some that, boy, you look on social media or look on, they had hundreds. Yeah. yeah. So literally, it just really comes down to some point, unless the government steps in and says, you must escrow those funds, you have to under, have, just have a, a level of trust with that tour operator that if the guest wants their money back, it's there and they're going to get it. There was, a, there was a point this summer where we were writing far more checks than we were bringing in. <laughs> and it was like, we just had no idea how long it was going to last. Dan, you're getting lots of praise for your ABCs. So Gail Hutchins asks, can our vendor reservations agents also be trained and understand the terms and conditions of their own companies? She is positing that too often these reservation agents at these large call centers or wherever they're located pass along the printed terms to clients and they don't kind of help them understand the legalese. Margie, has that been your experience? If, a, if your client wants to double check you and calls the supplier that they're getting the same message and same level of support that you've been trying to provide in terms of transparency and explaining things like terms and conditions. Larger the supplier, the, the more you tend to get different answers depending on who you talk to. It's really common amongst travel suppliers to say, hang up, call back and try to get somebody else. That should never be the case. You should get the same answer no matter who you talk to. With smaller DMCs and, and smaller tour operators, you, you get that consistent message. But the larger they become, the more difficult it is um, to get some consistency. And we, we know, hang up and call back. That's what we, we tell each other. 
hang up and talk to somebody else. I mean, yes. not in the travel perspective, but I can give you the most horrific incident I know. But I just spent like last week, 12 and a half hours on the phone with Comcast, 12 and a half hours for people trying to fix my problem. Still wasn't fixed. Don't know if it's fixed today, but this is what we encounter in the travel industry. And what made it so bad during COVID is that their phone lines are backed up. So you call and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait, you wait hours. And then you finally get somebody that doesn't give you a right answer. What do you do? Then you spend the next day calling again and waiting and waiting and waiting on hold for hours to get another wrong answer or another incorrect or half answer. This is what they experienced during COVID. Nothing consistent across the board. The larger the tour operator, the worse it was. I was monitoring a lot of the Facebook pages for some of uh, the big operators in travel that are like third parties. They're not the suppliers, but like a Costco type of company. And it was clear from the posts that people were challenging each other saying, you, they told you what? That's not what they told me. And of course, we don't know how somebody heard something and interpreted it. But there were many, many consistent instances where people said, no, my rep didn't say that. I got a different story. So it definitely the bigger companies, I've worked for large corporations. And I know, yes, you can't train everybody consistently. Just to let everybody know, Michael Graham, uh, who's watching, said Colette, Globus, and Tauk have told him or have, have marketed that they put all deposits in escrow. So there are three companies that are conveying the message that, yes, we want to give you, the travel advisor, some sense of confidence that that money's sitting somewhere. And depending on terms and conditions, here's you know how we could get it back. Carmen, when it comes to inconsistencies, are you seeing any differentiation between small companies and large companies in terms of not undercutting a travel advisor's message back to a client that, no, this is what I was taught by the company. I've actually spoken to someone there, typically a BDM, if you can get an executive on the line even better, but that then they hear a different message and that hurts their relationship. I kind of heard exactly what Margie was explaining. You know, it's just the bigger the company, the greater the chaos and more inconsistent the message delivery, where when you have an opportunity to get with a supplier like Dan and, you know, you're getting the answer right from his mouth. So there's no discrepancies, right? We're getting the same message over and over and over again. So that is able to help us instill more trust and remember that we've got the same message every time there was no games involved and what they were going to do. They were pretty much well-defined the policy and were taking action and knew what it was. And I think that's where a lot of maybe the inconsistent messaging came from was things were changing so fast. So it did depend. If you called them at 10 a.m., you may have had a different answer than they had at 4 p.m. because the policy changed midday. It happened. You know, they're trying to address the issues on the fly. To, to speak to that just real quick is that we found that fascinating, right? Because we actually changed our policies as well. But we were shocked that some, we changed our policies to liberalize them. I mean, we were literally liberalizing them every week. We posted it immediately on our homepage. And then every time we date stamp it, we just revised it to this and we just revised it to this. But there was actually tour operators out there changing them to be more stringent and try to protect themselves. And I get it. I get how tough it, it is out there. But boy, that, that was one that when, I see, when you start seeing policies change, but they change to be more stricter and more less consumer friendly. Those are the guys I'd probably kind of move away from. I want to throw just one comment in here too. I'm sorry. I I did see one incident where a travel agent posted in a Facebook group that their client, they weren't able to secure a refund. The client called by themselves and was able to get them to issue a refund. And the travel agent was in the Facebook group saying how crazy it made her look because she had been calling and called a couple times and the supplier said, no, 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 no but then her client calls and is able to do it. So her client didn't trust her anymore. The client thought she was lying right. um, because that's what she was told by her reps and everybody she talked to on the phone. So I saw at least three instances of that in the heat of the battle, March and April. I saw at least horrific three. Horrific to me. That's horrific. 
Dan, Neil is calling you out. Thank you for your Saturday update emails. He's been enjoying them. And I'm not sure who Neil is, but just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, Neil. So Jim Clunan, are you getting the sense from the suppliers that you're working with that they're aware of these issues and that it's on their radar screen? If the travel advisor is going to remain a trusted partner in selling travel on their behalf, that they are, you know, they're realizing there are certain things they can't do ad hoc anymore because it now puts this person in the middle of a situation like that. Because we could, I mean, we're heading into the wintertime. If COVID cases do start to rise and governors and, and national governments start saying, oh, we need to pull back, it could set off another series of cancellation requests, refunds, postponements, and then the call volume is going to go back up. And then the likelihood of inconsistencies is going to go up. Are you hearing any dialogue going on within the supplier community that they realize this is an issue? The, the folks that I speak to, and I mean, it, it's limited. It's not like I'm speaking to all of our customers. I have right. you know, a sales team that speak to, to most of them, but the, those that I, I would say I'm, I'm friends with and I speak to on a, you know, a fairly regular basis, I, I think what they've done is everything they can on the agent side for rebooking in the future and what they're seeing right now, and you know, I personally did myself, is people who thought they could rebook to October, November, December, and now saying, you know, April, May, June, and they're accommodating everything that they can. You know, it's 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 like the the agents with their with their clients. I think they're especially the smaller people that I I'm closer with. You know, they're waiting for their borders to open up for the airlines to fly to be able to go to places without any challenges, and you know, and that's that's it. I mean, that's the kicking the can down the road, not a popular saying, but that's kind of where, where they're all at right now, where, you know, when we, this first happened and we were talking to people, they were saying they were hoping they were going to get some late summer stuff. And the European tour operators were hoping for the Christmas markets. And then it was, I hope that we can do the February vacations. And then it was, I hope we can do the Easter vacation. And now a lot of the tour companies are saying, let's focus on summer of 21, which I'm sure is the case with, with most people on here, that that's what, with few exceptions, that's the, the rule. And of course, the longer we kick out the time when final payments are due, we're increasing the cash crunch, which then leads to what Dan was saying earlier, is maybe people are going to start becoming more stringent with their policies because they can't release that cash. They need it to keep the business aloft. So we could see more of this antagonism between all three parties if we don't get our communications and our transparency in line. My friend Phyllis Stoller, she runs the Women's Travel Group out of Manhattan. She's wondering, now that we have places, countries that are changing their documentation policies, is anybody concerned at all about how, you know, somebody books something, they, something's not required, and, you know, if you're not on top of it and something changes right before the group leaves, that somebody may not be able to travel. Does that kick in their travel insurance coverage? Tracy or Margie, are you hearing stories like this where, you know, as countries develop their health and safety programs, they're now impacting bookings. And now you guys have to become like, you know, the police making sure that person can go. When I was speaking with my travel insurance rep, I mentioned something like that to him. And he said it would fall under like the trip interruption portion of their policy because there was something that got in their way. I haven't had to try that. So I don't know for sure. But yeah, that's that's a real pickle. Or somehow we have to be able to get that to the client, if it's a form they need to fill out, we need to hope maybe they have Wi-Fi on the flight and that they can get that message we're sending or, or something <laughs> to that effect. Margie, what is CCRA doing in terms of a platform, a central hub for these kinds of things that, you know, if the, if the Dominican Republic changes its entry requirements, that everybody has that information as soon as possible? And are you seeing... You know, any suppliers trying to address this in any way or, or is it up to consortia and, and, you know, networks like CCRA to be that keeper of all of these country specific rules and regulations? I think it's virtually impossible for us to keep track of every change from supplier to destination uh, in terms of what might happen as we get them. We send them out to our agents. We chat a lot in our Facebook groups about kind of what's going on. 
but quite honestly, it's changing too rapidly. Still, as COVID cases spike, they may close their borders again. They may require testing upon entry. They may require you to test and then test when you land. They may require a number of things, and this is changing by the moment. It makes travelers nervous. It makes travel agents nervous. It makes us all a little concerned about sending our clients anywhere right now. I think this is why some travel agents are just opting not to do it. They're just waiting until later in 2021 and booking travel around those times. But from our perspective, as soon as we get information from our suppliers or destinations, we share. But I don't know how to keep up with that, Richard. I don't know how to. It's on a case-by-case basis. Who do you have traveling and get to work? See what they need to do before they enter. The frustration you just explained is probably the biggest issue I'm hearing right Right now for yes. most travel advisors is they're they're just they've, they've either rebooked too many trips and then have to rebook it a second time because the cancellations continued the the no sale periods continued or something changed and made it more of a hurdle for the traveler and they were just frustrated and said no i don't want to do this and and as a result a lot of people feel burned richard richard if i could real yeah. quick to speak to sure. but I, I think this again I, i'm i'm a glass half full kind of guy that is an opportunity and I've never seen the value in a travel advisor and a good tour operator as we have this year. We ran enough trips this year to know that Joe Q Public could not have done it on their own, period. Yes. You know, wouldn't have happened. So working together with a good travel professional, a travel advisor, a good tour operator, we actually proved our value this year. We all did. And, and yeah. I think that's a message that, you know, is, is timely to get out, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> You're right. We felt like it was a game of whack-a-mole. Like literally we could not keep up, but we had a team doing it, trying to stay relevant. And, you know, Alaska was a great example. We were, we were really challenged in Alaska, but we pulled off six departures. So, you know, but anyways, yeah, I think it's a great message for the travel community to get out. There are so many great questions coming in. I'm going to have to ask just one more. It's by Adrian Mitra. Um, Adrian asks, So if I've done everything I can to get my client's money back and the travel insurance company has denied a claim but offered a credit and the client doesn't want that, do I have any recourse if they initiate a chargeback? This was one of the most intense issues in March and April when all of this first started. People didn't have a lot of direct experience with it. And and I remember at least two travel advisors who told me, the chargebacks could literally send them into bankruptcy court because if the tour operator held their feet to the fire and said, you're responsible for chargebacks, does anybody want to take on this contentious issue about, you know, what is, what is the recourse for a travel advisor when they did everything they could and yet the tour operator comes after them and says, sorry, your contract says I'm allowed to come after you for the money. Richard, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here and say this really is about how you run your business, what your terms and conditions say that your clients sign. It's virtually impossible for us to answer that accurately without seeing right. that. You, you need an attorney, really. If you took, did you take the money or did the travel supplier take the money? Who actually took the client's money? If it's you, then hopefully you have some terms and conditions with some policies in there that match the tour operator that is refusing to give that refund. Did your clients see the tour operator's terms and conditions and agree? If they didn't, yeah, you need an attorney. (laughs) That's the best I can tell you. I don't know what recourse you have without laying all those documents out and sitting in front of an attorney and deciding what course of action would be next. But those are some of the things that we were saying, Richard, that is putting agents in this weird position because we didn't understand how all those correlate correctly before. Now we have these situations to deal with that are turning into legal matters. Maybe this is going to be a topic for Jim Clunan's virtual webinars <laughs> when he brings on his next attorney is maybe the answer is, as, as you know, Dan has tried to say a couple of times, is you've got to take back control of the situation. And if you can put something in up front with your clients, that the tour operator's terms and conditions do not allow for you to do a chargeback or something and just highlight that to them. I don't know what the solution is, 
but to say, this is the situation. If you do this, it's going to initiate this. And that's why you have to waive that right. Maybe that's something we all need to start talking about. If the tour operators are ever going to hold advisors to this chargeback clause in their contract, because it it can be, you know, you you have a large group, 10 people out of the large group decide to do a chargeback and you don't have the money. Well, we just hit two o'clock and I know we um, tried to guarantee that we would only go for an hour today. This has been such a dynamic conversation. It clearly is a critical one. And I'll be talking with Lee and Richard Earls about where do we go next? Everybody who's still on the call, please, we'll be writing columns about this. And if you are interested in participating in a dialogue with the industry to try to get these issues addressed, that is the next step here. Not to just talk about these issues, but to help move the travel advisors' relationships along to the point where they feel they have a viable business model in an environment that may continue for six or 12 months. If we, if we can't get the pandemic down and we have cancellations and country restrictions and things that complicate what you do for a living, if we don't address these things, we're just going to be discussing it for the next six to 12 months and we don't want that. So with that, you know, by all means, you can go to one of my columns and just pop your name in there and say, Rich, I'm, I'm interested in participating in the further discussion and I'll, I'll see what we can do about creating a mini coalition. Thank you to all of the panelists who not only took the time out to be here today, but sat through a prep session to discuss all these issues. These um, five individuals uh, to a person is dedicated to your success. And, and even if they're a competitor like Tracy or Margie, they want to see you survive. So please, you know, reach out to us in any form. If you've got further dialogue that you need, I'll try to get it out to these panelists. But if you can also shoot them an email to say thank you for their participation today. I know that that is one way for us to to move confidently forward. So thank you, everybody, for your time. And I promise this dialogue does not end today. Well, thank you all so much from all of us at Travel Research Online. We loved having all of you with us. If you would like to continue the conversation over on our Facebook page, it's uh, Travel Research Online. And you can also find the replay for this at TravelResearchOnline.com in our webinar section. So lots of ways to uh, review the information and continue the conversation. So um, we look forward to staying in touch with all of you. And thank you all panelists for just being so terrific and being here and giving us some of your time and wisdom. So with that, we'll conclude the webinar. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody.